Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Lamed Hey, page 35. So the beginning of this daf continues the discussion from the previous daf and, you know, talks about, again, what's the, how long does a couple need to wait? How does a woman really need to wait? Your name, your point is well taken, that this is a woman who needs to wait. And it also then veers into a discussion about minors, right? Meaning a, a girl who somehow is pregnant, even though she has not yet shown signs of maturity. We're not going to delve into that, but it is there. What I want to talk about instead is a little bit just beyond that, but still fairly close to the top of a Amadav, we have the case of a female convert or or a, um, a, a maidservant who has gone free, right? The Gioret or Meshukhreret. The Gioret is the convert, female convert, Meshukhreret, is the maidservant who has been released, uh, you know, and and either of these people have um, have really their own statuses in in terms of issues of pregnancy and parentage and so on. The practical side of this nowadays, again, the Gemara is not here paskini anything, but the meshucharet is not really of it's not really a thing nowadays, right? But but converts certainly are. So this is one of those very not PC statements by the Gemara, right? That the the concern or the given, I would say that's what's not PC about it, right? That there's a given that there's going to be promiscuity amongst either of these populations prior to the time that they are either, again, converted or freed. Um, so because there is a presumption of promiscuity and the idea that they had sex all the time, Right, so the Gemara says that we've got a decree against, uh, you know, about them in particular. Who the Amar Karabiosi, Detanya, Hagiyored, Vashvuya, Vashifchash, Nivdu, Vishigayaru, Vishinishdakaru, all of these populations who have been, in one way or another, um, presumed to have been um, compromised or promiscuous. The, the Shvuya is a, a captive who the concern is, right, that her captives took advantage of her. So all of these populations, you have to wait three months, again, to see if she's pregnant. According to Rabbi Yossi, But Rabbi Yossi says that they could become, they could get betrothed and get married immediately, which is, of course, an interesting approach, given that there's a decree that all of these populations have a risk of having had Sex, and they have to determine whether she got pregnant. Amarava, my time at Rabbi Yossi. So the next ger- generation of Amarayim says, Well, what's Rabbi Yossi's position here? Why does he think this? Rabbi Yossi's position is that any woman who's going to be promiscuous is going to be using contraception. Um, again, I think your Daniel made this point before. This form of contraception, this barrier method, um, is the ancient barrier method, let's call it, was not particularly effective or not that effective, but it might have been somewhat effective to the degree that they could say, well, you don't have to worry to the same given that somebody who's promiscuous would then end up pregnant. Before I go on, do you have any insight no, on this? I mean, the only thing I was going to comment is when I read this stuff and there's all this discussion about sort of methods women use in situations where they really did not want to get pregnant. Um, so as much as yesterday, I was bothered about all the patriarchy and control of women's bodies. Here, there's kind of an acknowledgement that like, yeah, women make sure to take care of what they have to take care of. Were these good methods of birth control? For sure not. But it was sort of like the best that they could do at the time that they were in. And I think it's just interesting to show sort of, you know, the age old need that like 
women may be having, you know, sexual relationships under less than best or ideal circumstances. And the scare of pregnancy is a real one. And the Gemara talks about that pretty frankly here. So today I'm feeling, I don't know if I'm feeling more positive about the Gemara, but you know, (laughs) I do want to acknowledge sort of, it's a little forward thinking today. That's all. Okay. And so Abai is going to split hairs here. Um, I suppose in a positive, in a, in a practical kind of way. Abai says, okay, a convert is going to be doing this, right? She knows that she wants to convert. It's a very weird pronunciation to me somehow today. Once she knows that she wants to convert, she's going to take care to make sure that she's not getting pregnant from a non-Jew, right? Because she wants to make sure that she could between any pregnancy that was conceived um, in sanctity and one that is not. Again, this is not PC. Um, I think it's very clear that the Gemara always will treat uh, sexual relations, marital, anything between a Jew and a non-Jew as something lesser and potentially problematic as compared to between Jew and Jew, where it's considered to be a matter of sanctity, at least under marriage and so on. Shvuya v'shivcha nami. So Abai, you know, the presumption here is that Abai is going on, that the person who is captured or the maidservant would also be careful. Wow. They would hear that they're going to be released, they're going to be redeemed, there's going to be some rumor about this, and again, they're going to protect themselves to protect it, to prevent pregnancy. But what about a maidservant, meaning the shifcha who goes out because um, because she has been damaged in some way? They have caused harm to her from the from the masters, you know. And this is her restitution that she can now then be freed. But because she did not know that this was coming meaning that her freedom was coming, how would she have known to protect herself? And indeed, she would have had no reason to prevent herself from being pregnant because, you know, up until this moment, she's under the the auspices of the masters. And now you're Dana, you can hate the patriarchy again because these are Jewish masters and the shifcha, the non-Jewish maidservant is, you know, can have a presumption of getting pregnant by her masters. Thank you so much. Um, unless you have a more positive spin on that. Nope, you can keep going. Lots of patriarchy. <laughs> it's not getting <laughs> better in the next parakeet there, just to give everyone a little <laughs> bit of a heads up. <laughs> and so the Gemara says, well, in any case, anytime where you're going to say that it, the situation occurs like by itself, meaning where the woman does not know what's upcoming, that she's going to have a reason to have protected herself from getting pregnant, Rabbi Yossi, um, so then, Mode Rabiosi, meaning then she should wait. She has to wait the three minutes, uh, the three months, not three minutes, three months. Vahatnan, but one second. We've got a bright uh, Mishnah that says, Anusa Amufuta Trihalam, Tijl Shachodoshim, Divri Rabiuda, Rabiosi Matirla Reis Felina Semiad. But one second, we've got this Mishnah that says that the, the Tanakama says that a woman who is raped or a woman who is seduced, right? And now, this, any of these populations, she must wait three months to determine whether or not she had become pregnant from that act. But Rebiosi in that same Mishnah says she's allowed to become betrothed and she's allowed to become married immediately. And obviously, and I, I like this, you know, this point is certainly clear. A woman who's getting raped clearly could not have prepared herself to not become pregnant. She doesn't know that's going to happen. At least the government doesn't, isn't quite comfortable with the rape. 
אלא אמר אביי, אישה מזנה מתהפכת שלא תדבר. So Abai says, and this is where we get to a different um, contraception method, I would say, morning after pill, right? A woman who engages in, promiscu- in prom- promiscuity, promiscuous behavior, right? What does she do? She then mitapechet, she turns over. Shalot um, uh, It's not the morning after. It's still a matter of, it's a, still an attempt at contraception. I think that modern science would teach that this is not effective at all. So then the Gemara says, well, if she's trying not to become pregnant, that's fine. But then then why would she have to wait three months, right? Everybody would say that she's she's clearly not going to get pregnant, right? Meaning they're not critiquing the birth control method. They're saying if she's trying to not to get pregnant, she's not going to get pregnant. And then the Gemara says, well, we're just concerned that maybe she didn't turn over well enough. And because she did not turn over well enough, it would not, she would actually end up, you know, getting pregnant after all. Um, instead of saying, well, turning over is not a good way of preventing. You know, again, always the question of modern science versus t- Talmudic science is an interesting question. This ha- is the kind of thing that has very real ramifications. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly, it's just not good birth control, but it's interesting how it's sort of like a methodology that was on the woman to implement correctly, right? Like it's, I don't know. I I found this passage to just be interesting because it's sort of acknowledging what women take control of, which I mentioned before. Um, I'm ready to move on to the next barrack. Oh my, yes, carry on. Okay, everyone sees I'm in a weird headspace with you almost today. And as I was yesterday. All right, now we're on to Paragdalic. So, um, you know, as we know, and sort of paragdalit is a little bit of a continuation of a discussion that we had before, right? We cannot do, ye- so one of the things we cannot do, and this is sort of not said explicitly, but it's, you need to know this to understand this mission is, now that we have this whole discussion about people having to wait 30 days, you know, what, sorry, women have to wait 90 days, uh, sort of between relationships with men. Um, so that would apply to Yibum as well. In other words, man dies, he dies childless, right? When does Yibum actually take place? You have to wait 90 days to do Yibum on the chance that the Yavama, that the widow actually is pregnant, okay? And so therefore Yibum basically is only done within 90 days of the husband's death because it's possible either the Yavama or maybe one of the other co-wives could be pregnant with the dead man's, right? With the dead brother's um, child. And so there, and also therefore we wait 90 days to perform Chalitza. So the question here that this mission wants to deal with is, let's say somebody didn't listen to the rabbis. This is a rabbinic decree. It's not Dara okay? And does Yibam or Chalitza within those 90 days of the brother's death, okay? And then it eventually, we find out that the widow was not, none of the widows were actually pregnant, okay? The question becomes, this Yibam or Chalitza that was done prematurely, right? Uh, is it, uh, you know, it's still considered to be uh, a valid Yibam or Chalitza, even though it was done too early. What this Mishnah wants to deal with is, let's say you did a premature Chalitza or Yibam, and then you find out afterwards that one of the widows was actually pregnant. And so the question is, what do you do? Okay. So somebody does Chalitza. So let's say we have Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain's married to Rachel right? Rachel and Sarah, let's say he's married to two women, okay? Uh, and then what happens? Ruvain dies, and Shimon goes ahead, and he does uh, Chalitza 
you know, at day, you know, let's say at day 20 with Rachel. And what happens? We find out that she's actually, that she's pregnant, right? The Yalda, and she gives birth. If the child is viable, right? So remember, in other words, as long as this child actually this time was much, much higher uh, than it is today. Right? The Yavam then basically can marry all of the Yavama's relatives. And she's permitted to his relatives. So in other words, because what basically happened is Ruvain, right? The dead brother basically uh, died, you know, with a child because Rachel ends up having a baby. So the Chalitza was basically not, even though Chalitza was done, it's actually of no consequence. And very interestingly, right? The Avam could therefore marry any of Rachel's relatives and Rachel can marry any of the Avam's relatives. So there's no air, there's no air, it's considered as if they never had a relationship. They're not considered to be divorced from one another, which is essentially what, uh, what Chalitza does. Um, and then below Pasla Minakuna. And not only that, he doesn't disqualify her from the Kahuna. She's not considered to be a Grusha. She's just considered to be a plain old widow. And therefore, she's allowed to even marry a Kohen. Very, 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 in my opinion, lenient ruling, considering that up until now, you know, we've talked a lot about that, like there's a lot of os- extra ossering, you know, ag- that goes on with Yavamos. Okay. But let's do the inverse case, right? Let's say the woman was pregnant. Rachel's pregnant, right? But the child does not survive. The baby doesn't survive. So basically the Khalid actually stands. And now the Yavam is forbidden to marry the Yavama's relatives. Right? She cannot marry his relatives. And he's disqualified from the kahuna because she's considered to be a grusha, right? We know a woman who has chalitza done to her and that chalitza's valid cannot marry a kohen. Okay, now they want to discuss the case of somebody who does yibum before even figuring out if the yavama was pregnant. So let's say somebody marries uh, the, the, you know, marries his, uh, does yibum to his yavama. And then finds out that she is, uh, and then finds out that she's she's pregnant and she gives birth. If the child is, you know, viable, Yotzi, he actually needs to uh, he needs to basically um, send her out, which is li- literally means. But actually, they have to get divorced. So, in other words, the first kid we had was one of Chalitza. Now we get to the more complicated case, which is one of Yibum. They're actually married to each other under the status of Yibum. They find out that she's pregnant. She has a baby. So her first husband has a child under these circumstances. Okay. And so what happens? Yotzi, they're actually not allowed to stay married to each other. The Chayavim Bekorban, they actually have to bring um, a Korban because they accidentally did a, you know, Kares bearing sin. And so they have to bring uh, a a Chatat. Um, because what happened, he actually slept with his brother's wife when he was not supposed to sleep with his brother's wife. Um, the im ain't Vlad uh, shall come up. Let's say that pregnancy uh, doesn't result in a living child. Yikayim, he keeps her as his wife. Suffolk ben Tisha Larishon, Suffolk ben Shiva Lacharon. Okay, so now we get into this weird thing that we know the Gemara, we've seen this before, believes that some gestations are, uh, some pregnancies are nine months. And some pregnancies are seven months, okay? And so here what the discussion is, is that let's say, because they didn't wait the full 90 days, right? 
and she's pregnant. And it's not clear if this was a seven month baby or a nine month baby. So the nine month baby would be one of the first brother, but the seven month baby would be one of the latter brother, right? In other words, of the, of the new brother of Shimon. So it's a question of, you know, she has a baby, let's say, uh, you know, seven months after her husband died, right? They did Yibum very quickly after Ruvain died. Uh, Rachel and Shimon enter into Yibum. It's not clear, is that a nine-month baby from Ruvain or is it a seventh-month baby from Shimon? Yotzi, so he actually also, they need to get divorced. They cannot live with each other anymore, right? Wait, Yardena, I just want to, I just want to note I think we've talked about this before, but it seems salient to mention here that the Gemara seems to think and throughout, meaning not just in Yavamot, that that babies are born at nine months or at seven months and yes, at yes, eight yes, months, yes. they're not they're, they're not, not um, viable. That's why I was very specific to give a seven month case. Right. They're not born at at eight months. That that's not considered to be there's a, they have a whole thing about seven month or eight or nine month babies and not eight month babies. It's an interesting thing. No one's quite clear how the Gemara gets to this. There's a lot of academic literature that you can read about this. So what happens in that case? He basically has to he he basically has to issue her a get, um, and you know because Yibum should not have taken should not have taken place. But Havlad Kasher, but this child is considered to be a legitimate child. In other words, even though technically this could have been the result of an erva relationship, because it's a suffix, right? The erva relationship being that Shimon slept with his brother's wife, Rachel, right? She's a widow. They should not have slept together because there was a child. There was no circumstance under which Yibam should have taken place. Even though there's a suffix, is this baby a nine-month or a seven-month baby, right? And if it was a seven-month baby, that baby under other circumstances would have been a mamzer. We say actually no kasher. This baby is not a mamzer. And here they actually have to bring in a sham talui. So a sham talui is different than a chatat, because the sham talui is something you bring if you're not sure if you committed a karate bearing uh, prohibition, a karate bearing sin. So in this case, they're not sure what happened, right? They're not sure if it's a nine month baby. They're not sure if it's a seven month baby. So they cannot stay married, right? The baby is considered to be kosher and is not considered to be a mamzer. Um, and they have to bring this asham talui as opposed to the first case with chalitza, where they actually bring a chatat. Um, which is, you know, so very, very interesting Mishnah. To me, this is like the first Mishnah that, uh, I don't know, that for whatever reason, it seems to be um, a little bit more understanding of sort of like the emotional piece. Like it really looks like they try to go out of their way to not make this hard for everybody. And then what basically ensues from here uh, is a very famous machlokas uh, between uh, Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, um, which is uh, if you do chalitza to a pregnant woman, right? Uh, does she need to get chalitza from the other brothers? Um, and they, they have a whole discussion. And this is actually going to be um, one of the cases that we paskin like Rish Lakish. We're going to talk about this on tomorrow's staff. But the big, essential machlokas is, is that Rabbi Yochanan essentially holds that chalitza and yibam of pregnant women is valid. And Rish Lakish holds that they're invalid. They're, they're, it's not a good chalitza and yibam. And this is based on uh, different readings of the psukim of yibam. So it's a real midrash halacha machloket, um, but we're not going to read all of that. So interesting Mishnah to kick off our next parak. And then tomorrow we're going to spend some time talking about Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan 
because this is one of their very famous areas where they have machlokas, but we actually pass in like great schlockers. That's our daft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this daft. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hotter website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>